I will talk to you of art. Yes. For there is nothing else. Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. You can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. Some artists will bait a hook and let you bite upon it. And now, without further ado... Hello folks, this is Albert Shivers, and you are listening to yet another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I don't know how I've kept this thing going, but somehow I have, and here we are, episode 37, and it's a good one, and it's a full one. I can't be as long-winded and crazy as I usually am, because we got a lot to cover, so I'm going to keep it brief. Isaac is back, I'm excited that he's back. And also, Luke and Andrew are back on the show together. We talk a lot about unknown things of old Hollywood. If you're a fan of old Hollywood, you should listen to this. It's going to be fun. You'll learn something. Why not learn something? You're just sitting there anyway with your mask on. You might as well learn something. Before we get to the interview, I want to fill you guys in. My next art show, Jazz Ain't Dead, Art Exhibition and Guided Tour, it's going to be lots of my jazz-related art, mostly all of it, plus jazz art that you've never seen, and I got some really awesome stuff that's going to be there. It's going to be a fun show, and the proprietors of this studio, Courtney, Sylvia, and Namu, are going to be giving tours. We're going to see how that goes, and I'm going to be in the gallery, sitting on a pole, and there'll be a rope connected to my hand and you pull the rope and I wave and if you push my belly button I talk about the art it's gonna be a lot of fun you don't want to miss it this show is Saturday August 22nd and Sunday August 23rd as of right now because of the because of all this Michigas there are gonna be slots only 10 people are allowed in the gallery at once so that's all gonna work itself out but if you want to go you could find more of the event info on Facebook. You could email and look up the Create and Be Art Studio. Or you could email me and ask me directly at shivers1954 at gmail.com. Alright, so there's that. Other than that, a lot of new art stuff coming. Got a lot of cool new pieces that are coming out. Not jazz related pieces. Got some of those too, but I got a lot of new Cool pieces coming out. I'm starting to work bigger. I keep wanting to work bigger and bigger. And weirder and weirder. You know, I don't want to keep doing the same old thing. I want to try to put crap out there that will get attention. Because, you know, that's what's important. Got a lot of stuff in the works. You can check that out on my Instagram, at Albert Shivers. And also, Isaac's been to a lot of cool stuff lately. Check out his Instagram, at when underscore in underscore zen. Also, quick thing before we get to the show, I found this really cool radio station on the internet last night on my phone. It was actually Isaac and I who found it. It's called Shirley and Spinoza Radio, and they play everything. There's amazing little skit things in between songs sometimes. The web, um, sorry, the radio show runs. 24 hours a day and they play everything just to give you an example in the span of 10 minutes so Isaac and I found this this radio station last night and I never stopped listening to it when I was driving home from his house I played it in the car over my phone 
And in a span of about 10 minutes, they played an old Mexican song, this amazing um, Japanese song, which I'll get back to. Then they played this weird instrumental with like very almost like noise, like noise music, but it had rhythm. Followed by the Fat Boys, old school hip hop, if you don't know them. Followed by a 1920s prison work song. Followed by this old country song called Too Many Pills. Let me see if I can pull up the titles of these so you can look them up. Because they're all very fun tunes. I believe the, the, the guy's name is Arky Blue, Too Many Pills. Um, the noise song was called The Visitation. And they just play everything, and it's freaking awesome. Like, it's really... All the shit they play is, is amazing somehow. I mean, there's... The, you know what it is? I'm, I wasn't into every single song, but collectively, nothing turned me off enough to go, Oh, Jesus. And for me to, you know, turn the station off. It was very interesting and inspiring and a goddamn breath of fresh air, really. To be hearing good music played and to be hearing new music that I never would have, I never would have um, heard it otherwise. But the one, the song that caught Isaac and I's attention last night was this song. And forgive me if I'm saying this wrong. If you know who this is, I apologize. I'm not a good pronouncer, you know. I don't talk so good. But um, the artist, she's a Japanese female artist. I'm going to get back to what she really does in a second. Japanese female artist Riko Ike. And the song is... Oh boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. The name of the song, I think, is Tenshi ni Narenai. Let's play a little bit of this song. This is the song that hooked Isaac and I into being really interested in this radio station last night. So there we are. We're sitting there, a couple of vipers. We got the dog at our feet. It's a damp, rainy night in the Poconos. You know, it's dark out. And then this, that damn song starts playing. And we're like, what the hell? Like, when all the, like, the, the, the song is very melodic and there's regular lyrics in the beginning that, that I didn't include. But when all that laughing picks up, we were like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> so it was pretty awesome. Again... The name of this station is Shirley and Spinoza Radio. It broadcasts out of San Francisco. But again, last night we found it in China. So it could be all over the place. But they have an online presence and they list their playlists. So if you're wondering 
what the hell song they're playing because sometimes you will wonder what the hell is this you can go on this website uh let's see i'm going to tell you the website right now this way there's no problem you don't got to sit and search like a jerk because I, I could just tell you why why keep it a secret the name of the website is onlineradiobox.com and again shirley and spinoza radio they run 24 hours a day you could listen to it in the morning, in the evening, at night, in the shower, on the toilet. It doesn't matter. It just plays. It just plays. And I promise you, if you're an open-minded, artistic person who likes music, there's going to be something that comes along on this channel that's going to that's gonna bring your radar up. It's really cool. And I'm, I'm really excited and happy to have found it. Because art, it, all forms of art seem so goddamn dreary now. It's just good that there's... Some good stuff out there. Oh, and in that list of songs I mentioned before, they actually, there was a Residence song in there. Where in the world am I going to go on the radio and hear a Residence song, a Fat Boys song, and a 1920s Alan Lomax recording all in a row? Nowhere. Nowhere that I know. Now, to go back to this Japanese singer, when I looked up her album, because I liked the song, I looked up, she has one album, that, and on the cover of the album, she's she's got no clothes on, completely naked. I'm like, what the hell is this? So I read into it. She is actually one of Japan's first pornographic actresses. And she cut an album. Go figure. Which was, you know, I mean, hey, that's interesting. I, you know, you learn. I said before, why not learn something? I'm learning something. Now here I sit. I said I was going to keep this short. And I'm going on a 10-minute rant here. Andrew's going to give me crap next time he sees me because he already thinks my rants are too long. But he likes them. I think he likes them. He told me he liked them, but he might be lying to me. Anyway, I hope you guys are all doing good out there. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Give it a listen. And if you're people who know Luke and Andrew, it's great to hear them, that they're doing good. Great to hear them together again. They're buddies from way back. And um, stick around after the podcast. There'll be a special episode of Alien Oddities titled E.T. the Extra Testicle. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're here another episode of Planet Shivers, and everybody's back. Isaac is back. Luke is back. And Andrew is back, but we're all back here together, and I feel like, man, a few months ago we probably wouldn't think this would be happening, but it's nice that it is happening. Wow, you mean you remember those days? We're going to start off talking about the old Hollywood star, Lon Chaney, father of Lon Chaney Jr., the Wolfman. Um, known as the Man of a Thousand Faces. Man of a Thousand Faces, yes. Okay. And, um, yeah, so let's start. Luke, start us off. Okay, so... for pe- uh, I guess start us off in a way for folks who don't know, maybe don't know who we're talking about. Okay, so the Cheney's reputation as the Man of a Thousand Faces is mostly based on the fact that he existed and worked before union laws prevented actors uh, from doing their own makeup. He designed his own makeup for every role that he played and was so good at making himself unrecognizable that people literally had the saying, 
in the you know early sound era, don't step on that spider, it might be Lon Chaney. <laughs> Granted, uh, his techniques were very crude and painful, and I, I'm pretty sure that union rules today would not allow anybody to be subjected to, uh, to those conditions today, but he... There were no union rules at the time, and he and it was his makeup on himself, so nobody stopped him. But his, if you watch, you know some, you know some of his movies, but you know not all of them have survived, unfortunately, because of how old they are. But if you watch the films that have survived, most notably *The Hunchback of Notre Dame*, um, *He Who Gets Slapped*, *The Phantom of the Opera* you will notice his makeup still looks impressive even today. As a matter of fact, uh, The Phantom of the Opera in particular, even though there have been countless adaptations, most people agree his design from 1925 is still the best. And uh, I also think it's worth mentioning briefly, you know, because everybody's obsessed with uh, method acting today and the pains that you know, method actors will do to prepare for a role, whether it's gaining or losing 50 pounds of weight or learning an accent or staying in character at all times, even to the detriment of their co-stars. Cheney subje subjected himself to his own pain to get in character in regard to the makeup. Like what he did with the Phantom, he used eye drops to insert egg membrane into his eyes to dilate his pupils. And in order to simulate the appearance of a skull, which, of course, would have no cartilage on the nose, he would use fishing line to pull back his nostrils. And sometimes the line was pulled so taut that it would bleed. And yet, in spite of that pain, he still knew how to break character at the drop of a dime, like any other classically trained actor. And I think that's something that more modern actors should aspire to emulate. So what do you mean? There are so many, so many people try to be like, think that method acting is the, the be-all, end-all. Exactly, yeah. I think a lot of actors, like they see uh, people like Daniel Day-Lewis, um, you know, uh, Christian Bale. Uh, um, Sean Penn. Sean Penn, yeah. They, they see, oh, uh, they're uh, considered some of the greatest actors of all time, and they kill themselves to get roles, whether it's, you know, uh, Christian Bale lose what well, he was down to like a hundred pounds to do the mechanist. Yeah. Uh, he uh, or, or uh, uh, him gaining like a hundred pounds for right. Vice. You know when he played uh, Dick Cheney. Uh, you know and a lot of them, a lot of you know young actors it, see see that and they say, oh, that must if I want to win an Oscar, that must be why I have to do. I have to kill myself for every role. Or uh, Matthew McConaughey who. Uh, you know, lost like 50 pounds for the role he won an Oscar for, uh, by Dallas Buyers Club, or, uh, and, uh, and he, he's all, you know, he's already at a healthy weight, and he, and to lose more weight on top of that. You know, even Tom Hanks did it for, uh, Castaway. Yeah. So the alternative is to, you is, were saying is... Is to learn to use your imagination you know, like like the whole gaining weight thing. These actors, these method actors who gain weight for a role, insist that it will make them more authentic, make them behave more authentically than wearing a fat suit, right. which you know is the much easier classical method. But if you watch guys like Cheney, you know, who obviously did not gain or lose a ton of weight, or didn't uh, like Daniel Day Lewis did, stay confined to a wheelchair in between takes because he feared that if he got out of a wheelchair, it would break his concentration. Uh, you know, 
they he was able to get in and out of character at the drop of a dime without method acting, and he still gave performances that still hold up to this day, despite the diff- the obvious differences of the medium between sound film and silent film. Uh, 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 a story I always loved that you told me, Luke, was uh, 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 Laurence Olivier, I think, was working with somebody. With, and, with Dustin Hoffman, yes. And, and Dustin Hoffman said something like, you know, I, I stayed up for a, a week to to get ready for this role. And uh, Olivier, and, and Olivier said, uh, why don't you just try acting? It's easier. Uh, I was... <laughs> that was the best. Yeah. Actually, so, I, I've recently... If I could just briefly oh, yeah. finish that... Uh, I've recently learned that that's actually a, a myth. Uh, what really happened, uh, Hoffman, was, Hoffman had been staying up late, but it wasn't because he was trying to get in character. It was because he was going through a messy divorce and was partying. Oh. And uh, Olivier said, just stick to acting because that will be so much more therapeutic mm. than partying. But the, the, con- the idea, of the, the concept behind that story still holds true, that acting, yeah. <laughs> just using your imagination is more effective not just for you but also for your co-stars exactly I mean, like yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis I forget what movie it was where he was in a wheelchair he had uh, to My Left Foot I believe it was called thank you uh, when he when he did that movie he refused to get out of the wheelchair in between takes which meant the stagehands had to move him in the chair from one place to another and it's like when you're being a problem for everybody else you're forgetting that it's a collaborative art it's not about you it's about the team yeah. right so okay so I have two questions now you planted in me. So first of all, this method style of acting, um, do you feel like one of the like the, the leader of that or the the, the the actor who started that would have been Brando? Yeah. Like, was think, he the the guy who came in and started doing that? Yes and no. He's a, he is He's probably one of the more well known for it. He probably mm-hmm. you know, he may may not have Initiate, but when people, I think when people think method acting, think, you know, he's, he's the, the first, first. He's the first one they think of. Although, um, I mean, again, take this with a grain of salt because I got it from IMDb.com, which is not always, you know, the most factually correct. But supposedly, he didn't actually study under Lee Strasberg, who founded method acting. He uh, Brando actually studied, studied under Stella Adler, and it That's was and it was Strasberg took credit for training Brando, and Brando absolutely detested him for that. But nonetheless, Brando is, as you asked, associated with founding method acting and pioneering it in film, especially. Um, but there were, you know, there were other method actors in the, you know, from his time, you know, the Brando imitators like James Dean, or um, some of Brando's co-stars like Jack Palance and uh, Rod Steiger. And what, more often than not, when they would do movies alongside other classically trained actors, they absolutely hated these method actors. Like, mm-hmm. I think uh, Humphrey Bogart did a movie with Ste- Humphrey Bogart's last movie, uh, The Harder They Fall, he did with Steiger. He absolutely hated Steiger, thought he was overacting, hated how much he mumbled his lines, because he's like, Can't, don't... I mean, yeah, that might be more realistic, but... You know that I have to hear my cue lines before I respond to you. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, and and Brando, you know, for for being his method, he wasn't very well organized when it came to you know, like you. I, I hear so many stories about like people having to like hold up like his lines because he wouldn't have his lines memorized. Uh. I mean, I'd rather have my lines memorized, you know, and not bring down the rest of my than 
you know, being in character 24 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, have either of you heard about um, To the Moon? So there's the Andy Kaufman movie. Yeah. It's called We Star Jim Carrey. I've heard of it. And he wanted to be called Andy Kaufman all so the time. They, yeah. they made a documentary just about dealing with him. Yeah, call Me Andy or something? Yeah. yeah. Um, have either of you seen that? I have, yeah. So that to me would seem like the most extreme form of method acting. Oh, yeah. How, how do you view that? I, I thought that was extreme. And something I was really shocked when I heard from uh, uh, Jim Carrey, of all actors, doing that. I, I don't know. Uh, because he he was, seemed to me like such a character actor because he came from comedy. He was a stand-up first. Mm-hmm. And, that, uh, and he was like the last person I'd ever th- think would become a, a, a method a method actor or act that way. Right. I mean, I can understand he wanted to give a great performance. He gave a great performance the year before in a movie called The Truman Show. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if you guys have seen that. Yes. Uh, and uh, and I don't, uh, whether he used method acting for that or not, but uh, I'm not sure. But uh, during uh, that movie, um, there's a uh, wrestling scene with uh, Jerry Lawler. And Jerry Lawler yeah. played himself... Yeah. in that movie and uh, uh, you know Jerry Lawler uh, gave him the pile driver which in pro wrestling is one of the most dangerous moves ever I mean you, you talk to Stone Cold Steve Austin he had his career shortened because somebody botched a pile driver yeah uh, and uh, he uh, but uh, Jim Carrey he was working with this, uh, Jerry Lawler kept giving this stunt double the pile driver you know, he gave you know gave it once twice and Jim Carrey kept saying you know, give me the power driver give me the power driver I want to take it I, I can take it and he, and he said to Lo, you could you can do it. And, said, uh, and Jerry said well you know I've given the power driver you know over a hundred times in my uh, career you know I haven't hurt anybody yet I don't see why I wouldn't uh, why it hurt you and, uh, and he said okay next time uh, you know when, when they roll the camera uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna you know wave the uh, stun double out, and uh, you're you're going to give it to me, and Jerry Lawler's just like you know him and and Hawks, yeah, but they, they want me to use a stun uh, a stun double, you know. So uh, he's uh, you know waved the director over to him. Uh, this is Jerry Lawler, and uh, he said uh, you know he said to him, you know uh, Jim Carrey he he said he wants me to give the pile driver. I was just wondering if you know. And I don't feel comfortable with it, you know, without your permission. And uh, the director's just like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And then Jim Carrey started throwing a huge thing. You know, there was a, a fake, you know, you know, there was extras in the audience, you know, pretending to be audience members. He grabs a microphone. He says, I really wanted to take the pile driver. And he's, uh, and this guy's a coward. Right. He won't give it to me. Uh, and then he spat at Jerry Lawler. Yeah, uh, you know, which was something Andy Kaufman used to do. He uh, and uh, and Jerry Lawler started chasing him around the ring. If you ever saw yeah. Jerry Lawler, he's a pretty big man. Right. Uh, you know, I've been a pro wrestler for years. And he's I think he's in his seventies now. He's still wrestling, and, and he's had a heart attack, and, and he still wrestles. And, uh, and, uh, and he he was ready to kill him. And I think that's and uh, I think that's uh, what the whole method acting uh, can lead to. You know, you really uh, want to, or even, you know, people doing their own stunts. You yes. know, like, 
uh, we uh, talked about this a bunch of times. You know, like I, I think it was uh, what was it the Expendables that finally made Stallone want to stop doing his yeah because uh, while fighting Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah uh, he, he broke his neck yeah, yeah he he broke part of his neck and it, it didn't paralyze him thankfully but now he has like a metal implant and because of that if you watch every movie he's done since then he it's like watching Michael Keaton in the Batman suit if he turns his head he has to turn his entire body he mm -hmm. cannot turn his neck his head and this is St Sylvester Stallone wow. yeah okay. do you know that he just bought the statue from out in front of the Philadelphia Art Museum. Oh, wow. He bought his... They had his statue <laughs> from Rocky. This dude bought his own statue. And there's this video of them, like, with this big, big crane <laughs> putting it into his yard. Uh, and he's got his garden and his tomato plants. Uh, and here's this statue. Uh, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what a move. Like, what a... <sighs> Uh, yeah, I, what a goity, uh, is that, yeah, like, you know, like, uh, man. Uh, I, did they think it was going to be teared down, is that why, or? No, he just uh, wanted it, and mm. he's, he's not the most humble person. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he just turned 74, I think. Uh, mm. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, 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 if, you know, that's what he wants, you know, that's what, that, like, that could go to, like, uh, Nicolas Cage, when he was making big money, he bought, like, a, a, Tyrannos, a Tyrannosaurus Rex hat, or yeah. skull. And, I've seen those skulls for sale in Colorado. Oh, wow. They are not cheap. Uh, I, I believe it. Yeah, that was back when he was making $25 million a movie. Yeah. Now I think he, you know, doesn't even get, now he's, well, now he's doing... Uh, DVDs, like, uh, uh -huh. uh, you know, direct-to-DVD movies. Now. Oh, yeah, well, that's what we're going to be stuck with. But i seen a saber-toothed tiger skull, and it was $5,000, and I considered it. Right. <laughs> 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 Five thousand. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, for a good five minutes. <laughs> wow, that's even better. And weaved out just because. Like, how awesome with them? Uh, yeah, but and it comes in a case. Like it's you know. Wow. Dude, you could start your own theater company with that. <laughs> Or you could take a chunk out of my student loans for that now. Yeah. Or you, you could give me or, a car. Or I could have a saber tooth tiger skull. Yeah. In my house. And like that's it. Like I don't need nothing else. It'll just be me in an empty apartment with that. Yeah, just 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 an empty apartment, no TV, no uh, uh, no, just just the same thing. Me that. and my skull. <laughs> you, you could sleep on the floor next to it. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it's, you know, when you see it. call it Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> when you see it, you know, because it's a skull and it's like this big. And you're, you know, you, me, I'm a dinosaur kid, and you see those teeth in person. Uh. And they're the size of, like, bigger than bananas. And. What you know, and you start to think about like, here's this thing was in the dirt for a long time, mm -hmm. and these animals are gone, they're extinct, and there's this intact skull, like you know, 
There's only a certain amount left. There's, you know? Yeah, like this. <laughs> Stock yeah, is running out. There's, they're not manufacturing anymore. Mm-hmm. So five thousand, like it's this. It's it, it did. I thought about it. Not that I had it. Uh, I just thought about it. <laughs> well, you know what they say. It's the thought that counts. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when this podcast takes off. Going back there. <laughs> you, 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 when the when the podcast takes, I'll fly it back to Denver. You, you go back to, and you you buy as many of those skulls that you want now. But but, but it has I just need the one. But but from now, but if you do, we we have to make a pact now that every movie you do from now on, it has to make an it, appearance. It has to appearance once. Oh no! Once. It's your Alfred Hitchcock cameo. Yeah. You need it. Uh-huh. No. Okay. That's. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be filming it regardless. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could just make a whole sh- uh, show about that. Just just have, just have put a camera on it and just stare at it. Like, have the camera on it all day. Yeah. yeah. Or it, it could... Live stream the skull. Live yeah. stream the yeah. skull. Yeah. Or if you do a movie about a crazy person who has, he needs an imaginary friend and you have this, the skull represents the imaginary friend and uh, we, we could do, we could take turns doing the voiceover. Oh, yeah. The, for, for the, uh, for, for the skull. Right. Uh, this guy keeps talking to me, and he keeps and he keeps uh, wanting a response. <laughs> I don't know what. Last thing I remember, I was chasing a, a deer. <laughs> <laughs> that's deer. very like um, like Pink Panther. That, that was that's fitting. <laughs> but I guess let's we'll we'll grab yeah. the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and go back to Lon Chaney. Let's back to do Lon. some Lon Chaney talk. Um, so, I want to throw this idea at you guys. Is there's the the tantalizing um, mother wives' tale, not mother's tale, <laughs> tantalizing wives' tale that the that the ghost of Lon Chaney is still hanging around Hollywood, and it's often seen sitting in benches outside of either studios or past studios that he worked at. A lot of people have seen this. Have you guys heard anything or know anything about this? Huh. Uh, Shockingly, I can't say I have. Although, um, it sounds completely plausible to me because given the guy's ability to change his appearance, I could easily see it starting as a rumor as, oh, I saw a ghost that looked like this, oh, I saw a ghost that looked like that. And after everybody realized that the only thing it had in common was, that these sightings had in common was nothing, they realized, well, who could possibly... Well, there can't be a million ghosts here, but what's one? What one ghost could change appearance? Lon Chaney, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, shapeshifter. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, if anybody was a shapeshifter, yeah, yeah was that, the mythology of that whole thing. Yeah, he would be the dude. Yeah, but um, it, he he specifically like there was a lot of of spooky happenings during the filming of. Um, Dracula with Bela Lugosi because Lon Chaney was supposed to get that role mm-hmm. right yeah. with Todd Browning and he he died and he didn't mm-hmm. so I think it was particular like a new film people who were into film or new actors would not even be able to fathom such a thing but Lon Chaney's death um, now if I'm not mistaken he asphyxiated on false snow uh, oh. That that they said uh, that wasn't the the main cause. It was the uh, that, yeah, that's it, what killed him, right? 
uh, he, he had been a lifelong chain smoker. The uh, the fake snow was based was more or less the detonator that set off the bomb. Okay, yeah, so he, he, he had lung cancer. Yeah, yeah he, he was, was going to die from his smoking habits sooner or later. The uh, this this the fake snowflake that he accidentally swallowed while working on a movie. Um, apparently just sped it up like okay let's right. just get this over with but even so you it, you know you could at least say that that fake snow was somewhat carcinogenic yes to speed up a cancer that quick mm. so like that doesn't even exist you know back then they were just doing whatever worked without much much care for the actors in the scene mm-hmm. and that probably continued for a while, as as B movies, B movies of the fifties and sixties got more popular. They were very similar in which the actors went through great lengths and great struggles, specifically the ones that got shipped off to the Philippines mm-hmm. to make those movies. But nowadays, with all the rules and all the union and all these things, mm-hmm. that kind of thing is just so buried and almost hard to even think of. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, well, that's that's like a story about a movie. I don't even know if it ever uh, came out. I forget. Uh, John Wayne was gonna be in it. Uh, uh, he he was gonna play. It, it wasn't a western, uh, but like a lot of people thought, like their filming location of. Wait, uh, was it the one about uh, Genghis Khan? Genghis Khan, Khan yeah. It, that movie actually did come out. It did come and, out. And it's considered one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, well, but what, yeah, it was filmed downwind of a nuclear test site, so almost everybody who was involved in the production got, got some got kind of, some kind of yeah. extra arm growing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was uh, the thing. Everybody, uh, uh, I think all almost all those people came, uh, all the extras, everybody that worked on that uh, site got... Uh, Got sick in some way. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what you get for making a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. What's What's really ironic is that that movie was directed by song and dance man uh, Dick Powell, but the very next year he made The Enemy Below, which, in my opinion, is one of the greatest war movies ever made with uh, Robert Mitchum and Kurt Jurgens. So yeah. that's all I went for you. Like one year you make one of the worst movies ever made, and the next year you make one. Sometimes that's you right. gotta like get the boogers yeah. out yeah. 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 before you can breathe. Good. I mean, like uh, uh, Eddie Raymond. Uh, he the same year he was up for Best Oscar. He was also up for uh, Worst Actor at the Razzies for. Uh, Moons of Jupiter, or Ju- Jupiter ascending, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, same year he won his Oscar. He also won the Razzie <laughs> for, for yeah. as you, just uh, you, know, you never know. Uh, you know, you can do you know something uh, bad and uh, something good at the uh, same time. You know, within the same year. Yeah. So the one thing we were talking about a little bit before, and I'll just yeah. indulge your curiosity now is there, I found a very weird connection with Lon Chaney and Frank Zappa. Okay. So, here I have the Frank Zappa album, Tinseltown Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And you can see this very extravagant collage on the cover of this record. Yeah. People who are listening, go Google it and look up the cover. So, this is the second pressing of this album. On the first pressing, right, right mm-hmm. here, yeah. I believe was an image of London After Midnight character with the woman standing next to him. One of the publicity shots from the movie. Right. 
The second pressing of this record, this image was removed from the cover. Hmm. When this album came out on CD in 1995, Lon Chaney was back. Alone After Midnight. Then, when they reissued the CD, he was gone again. They keep taking him out and putting him in. So, that's okay. That is weird, but there's more to the story. So, let me just look at this for a second. Because then I sort of think, okay, maybe Universal Pictures did something. Maybe they didn't want Lon Chaney in there or something from their movie in there. But that idea is punched in the head because there is Lon Chaney as the hunchback swinging from the top. And he was always there. Right. There from the beginning. Never was taken out. But Long After Midnight was. So then I was like, okay, Albert, maybe... It's a, um, give me a second here to find what I'm looking for. Um, but I said, oh, maybe it is a Todd Browning thing and not a universal um, universal thing. But here are members of the movie Freaks. And there are other members of the movie Freaks strewn throughout the collage. So... If it's not a Universal thing, and it's not a Lon Chaney thing, and it's not a Todd Browning thing, why would they keep taking out and putting in the London After Midnight character on this record cover? Which... It couldn't be a rights thing anyway, because London After Midnight, they attempted in 1927, even if it had been... Even if it still existed, which it doesn't, it would be in the public domain by now. Right, because, like I said, here are these other references to all those things. So, my question is here's this movie that was lost, steeped in mystery. Mm -hmm. And there have been tales throughout the years of it, you know, (coughs) excuse me, it's showing up somewhere. Either it's a hoax, or nobody really knew anything about it. Or the fact that um, people were seeing that character in their dreams, and (laughs) when they'd wake up, two men in different parts of the globe... um, who committed murder blamed the London After Midnight character long after the films had come out. And also, it's also an interesting coincidence that the London After Midnight character just so happens to have the same clothes, same appearance as the Slender Man mystery, the top hat, very right. thin, mm-hmm. you know, vampiric in a way. So there are all this mythology that not only surrounds this movie because it's lost but all these connections to spook stories and and horror movies and mythology either Lon Chaney knew of all this and bent his design of the character in that direction as something that was feared over generation or is somehow the untimely ghostly this is my far out somehow the untimely ghostly sad death of Lon Chaney whose work was not done somehow hanging around on this planet on this plane there you go as far-fetched as that second theory sounds it still seems less far-fetched than the first one because I'm pretty sure the Slender Man urban legend like started like within the past few years because of some something that happened I think like a I think it was like a photoshop joke on the internet or something oh, like yeah. that so yeah, 
Frank I, or something. Yeah. So I'd actually, I'd actually be more inclined to believe that. Uh, yeah. So the idea of Cheney knowing about this thing, unless the Slender Man was based on another urban legend from hundreds of years yeah. ago that he was familiar with, but. Duritter, yeah. It's like a black, multi-armed like knight kind of thing. I think, like mm-hmm. stole children or something. Uh-huh. Like creepy fairy tale, like yeah, big long slender spider thing. Hmm. But that wasn't incorp. But Cheney didn't incorporate that into nah, his designs. Nah. So, yeah. so I'm guessing he wasn't influenced by that. So I'd be more inclined to believe his ghost is influencing from beyond the grave than something else influenced him while he was alive. That's what I'd like to think too. <laughs> I'm okay with some old Hollywood ghosts running around. Oh, yeah. But that, it, it really was, like, quite the mystery on top of all the other mystery. Because there's a website that lists all the occurrences since that movie was supposedly made. Another theory is they never were going to make it. They never had a plan to make it. They just wanted publicity for Dracula <laughs> with Lon Chaney in it. So... The fact that, like, there's, again, it's, these are just theories that they did all the press, they took a bunch of, like, stills, mm-hmm. movie stills, and said, okay, you know, we're not going to do this. Or was it, the other theory being, this movie was so horrifying for 1927, I think? Yeah, 1927, that they sh- just shelved it and predominantly burnt it. That could easily be the case. They, they do that with... Uh a lot, and you know, uh, probably censorship was probably a lot uh, strict. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. the only argument I would have to that would be that it was pre-code. Yes. So things were a little bit, believe it or not, like, and you guys know this, but yeah. for the people, like, back then things were a little bit more artistic and liberal, you know, for a while, because. Well, yeah, but on the other hand, I, I think it depends on what aspect of censorship you're talking about. I think pre-code, it was mostly about you know sex and nudity, I think they were really lax on. But horror, you know, that I'm not well, so sure about. One example, and this may be the only example, but one example is, so in the original Boris Karloff Frankenstein, he throws the girl in the water. Yes. That scene was cut out. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, it was cut out not long after the code was put in place. So that's that's an example of an, a bit of an act of violence, probably because it was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's not corona. <laughs> it's okay. I just it, need it, water. If, if you're coughing, that doesn't automatically mean it's, it, 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 if you have if you feel it in the lungs, then yes, it might be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but but if your throat is dry, it's probably nothing. To yeah. Feel. But um, that was an example of an act of violence, and again, probably because it was a kid, mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. they would cut it. But you are right; it was mostly s- sex, nudity, and, yeah, and, and religion sex too. Things. Yeah, religion mm-hmm. too. Is, that's why. Uh, um, that's why. Also in Boris Karloff's Frankenstein, uh, they also cut uh, Colin Clive's line, Oh, in the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which are important. I, I think that's an important line in that yes. movie. It tells the story. Yes. You know. It gives more insight into the character. This is true. Yeah. But yeah, so that, you know, I've just been really fascinated with that particular movie. 
And the idea to be the ultimate prank of the film never being made, never intending to be made, and just as a publicity thing, for whatever reason, to kill time mm -hmm. between till they got to Dracula with the same director and the same act, lead actor. Mm -hmm. I'm still on the fence. I would need to give that more thought because I don't know if you're familiar with the film uh, The Mark of the Vampire with Bela Lugosi. Yeah. That movie, from what I understand, is essentially a remake of what London After Midnight would have been. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the fact that they, especially given how popular Cheney was, I mean... In the 20s and 30s, even after Cheney's death, I'm pretty sure, yeah. if, if you asked a casual Hollywood goer, who do you who do you think is the better actor, Cheney or Lugosi? I'm pretty sure both, like 9 out of 10 people would have, oh, yeah. would have said was, Cheney. He was huge. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Which so, only adds more mystery to how the, how do you lose this freaking movie? How do you, oh, yeah, how do you yeah. lose it? Like, yeah. so, so you censored the movie that had the more bankable actor, but then when Lugosi comes along, he's like, oh, yeah, we could do it. Right. Post-code, nonetheless. You're like, oh, yeah, we could do this. Go ahead, just throw yeah. it out there. Mm. Yeah. I'd have to look more into that. No, I, I, no, I, I, I understand. But that's the other thing about it. So here's a question So, for both of you can answer. Um, but in your gut, do you, do, do you feel that the movie is anywhere? Like, do you really feel... I doubt that such a thing could be 100% completely lost. I refuse... I just... Whether it's the... Whether it's the the person who either wants it to be out there somewhere or whether I just love a good mystery. Mm. You know, and the Marx Brothers have a lost film. There's a lot of lost films. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of them. That are like, how do you lose this? So in my gut, I feel that it's somewhere out there. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I, I got to think uh, it, it's somewhere, you know, uh, on some, you know, uh, you know it, it could just be, you know, like, like you said. I, I think that's what happens to a lot of, like, you know, they, they may show something once and then, uh, you know, may, uh, and then just have it, keep it for them, you know, then, right. then I'll, I'll just, you know, watch it whenever, you know, uh, I get the notion, you know, maybe, you know, then it gets mixed into, uh, somebody's, uh, stuff when they, and somebody else, you know, comes across it. Yeah. You know? Someone's addict or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Some, some, someplace somewhere. There are there are a lot of famous horror films, especially that that were considered lost for a long time, that were that were later discovered. I know the first sound version of Jekyll and Hyde with Frederick March, um, MGM, uh, when they re remade the film in 1941 with um, Spencer Tracy, in order to avoid being compared to the March version, they bought the March version and buried it in their vaults, and it was considered lost for decades until somebody found it in their private. VHS collection right. somehow yeah. uh, Nosferatu because Bram Stoker's widow sued over copyright infringement uh, that movie was supposed to be destroyed so it's a miracle that it exists but it was supposed to be destroyed uh, it is possible however unlikely that there is an old dusty unrestored reel of London After Midnight sitting in somebody's attic but if we find it, it's whoever has it is not going to part with it lightly. It's probably going to be worth a lot more than a saber-toothed well, skull. Here's the, the thing about it is that there are posters from that movie that are in fair, many different languages. Wow. So there's a chance that it, it may, doesn't have to be in America. 
Mm-hmm. It could be in Canada. It could be in Europe. It could be in France. Mm-hmm. It could be in Italy. Yeah. You know, could, of those cuts, because there are several different posters in several different languages. Mm-hmm. So if it was distributed, you would imagine it was distributed in, in that area as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which spans... You know, silent films are much easier to distribute in that regard because you know, because they are silent, there's less language barrier. It's so much. E- all you have right. to do is translate the title cards. You don't yeah. have to worry about lip syncing or dubbing or anything yeah, like that. Pretty much, yeah. And and that goes, uh, you know, you know, there there are probably hundreds of movies like that that have been made, and you know, just you know, uh, uh, you know, they're they're just not. Uh, they just don't get out. They're just not seen. Like there's, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and you find them on DVD or, or something like that. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, you hear about, you know, oh, this person's. You you, you look at an actor's filmography. And it's just like, well, yeah, yeah, I, I one movie. What the hell is well, that? What the hell is it? Yeah, it's, you know, Grant Grant. Those are probably like independence and stuff like yeah, that. There's yeah, there's gems in there that I found yeah, some exactly, yeah. have been set on my heels with some movies that I never heard of. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what, uh, you know, I'm just like, uh, you know, and you click on it and you're like, wow, this is a good kid. This sounds like a, a good one. Like and then you, you look at, on Amazon, try to find the DVD or um, Amazon Prime maybe, and, you know, it's just like, oh, there, there it is. And, you know, it's like dirt cheap. And, uh, uh, but, and, you know, you think it's really good, you know, that, you know, that gets into the whole underrated, you know, uh, type yeah. yeah. No, there's a lot of things that I've come across that are very underrated or need to be more, see, when, when I think of the first thing that comes to mind, I think of movies that everybody should be seeing, which is a bit cruel. <laughs> But I, I always think of Jodorowsky's films. Um, Holy Mountain, um, Sandra Sangre, El Topo. These, have either of you seen any of his films? I can't say I have, but... but uh, you but should watch all of them. <laughs> yes. He is a very grand filmmaker. Everything is huge. Every, there's spares, no expense. Um, he's a Mexican filmmaker. Okay. And so most of his movies are in Spanish, but there's English as well. Um, but it, I know neither you guys don't mm-hmm. mind subtitles, yeah. so that's fine. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with subtitles. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so but his they're like long, gigantic films that um, that are things. And Isaac, you could jump in. You've seen mm-hmm. them too. Yeah. Uh, they were both shown to us by this by this mic. Mm-hmm. So we both had the same experience seeing them, but they're just these films that, like you walk away like shell shocked from, it's because it, it it comes at you at all directions, the whole like for like two and a half hours, it's just boom 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 boom, boom. multiple storylines weaving all around, imagery that just is it's mind, mind yeah leaps off the screen. The yeah. budget he must have for some of them, I don't know where he got it, but it was like huge. Yeah, you're right. Just I guess thousands most. of extras, oh, you know, wow. in the 70s. Wow, it, yeah, he does a good job at like kind of jabbing at the whole whatever you would call it establishment or something, kind of just dismantling the different parts of like the government or just different control mechanisms. It started like riots and stuff, but like film festivals, 
Wow. Oh, it's, wow. it's very charred. Yeah, it can it'll piss a lot of people off, but it's it's awesome. <laughs> very creative. So yeah, that would be my underrated. If I had one, <laughs> my underrated that and the film Mask and Anonymous, um, which came out in two thousand three. It was a film written by Bob Dylan with another writer, Larry Charles. And um, in that movie, you have Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Penelope Cruz, Jessica Lange, Mickey Rourke, Angela Bassett, um, Christian Slater. Wow. It's an insane cast who all worked for scale just to be in this movie, which is, from beginning to end, just a giant riddle, but it makes it very rewatchable because you're like, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> But it gives you enough to be like, I'll give it another shot. <laughs> so those would be my first um, recommendation. So if you guys had to give somebody a recommendation for what you feel is very underrated that they need to see, what would what would you what would you think that movie would be? Hmm. Well, uh, was there something you had in mind that you wanted to start with? Because I have to think about this. Uh, somebody I, th- I think is very underrated is uh, the work of uh, Richard Linklater. I, I think okay. his I think his work uh, is very creative, and you know uh, I, I remember you know yeah it, it gets uh, publicity like there, people know who Rich, Richard Linklater is, right. but uh, you know he's not like an underground person. But I think nobody like appreciate like the work that he puts into it. like he shot uh, the movie Boyhood. Over a span of like twelve to thirteen oh, years, yeah. and I thought that was yeah. the most creative thing I've ever heard. When I heard that story, I thought, I thought, wow, they 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 literally shot a, a kid's yeah. life. They they used the, the same kid, you know, instead of, you know, you know, changing the kid when he gets older. You know, I thought that when I heard that, it, I was just dumbfounded because mm-hmm. I, I thought that was the most creative thing. They they, they shot, you know, they used the same. Apparently, uh, Ethan Hawke and uh, Patricia Arquette, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think she won her Oscar for that movie too. Uh, you know, they they shot that all well, using the same people, you know, over a span of twelve years. I my, I just thought that, and more people weren't amazed by that. I just thought that was the most amazing mm-hmm. thing ever, and uh, I just thought that uh, think stuff like that should be appreciated. You know, going to, you know that. Uh, level of commitment you know they uh you know or his uh before series uh uh before the sunset you know before uh, uh before midnight and uh for before the sunset before midnight and uh, i can't think of the other one but uh they uh was it before the sunrise before sunrise before the sunset before midnight i believe that's all Three of them, uh, doing you know, uh, catching up with a couple after you know, using the same couple and shooting the films uh, right. nine years apart from each other. I'm having trouble uh, narrowing down to any one particular filmmaker because you know a lot of people. You know, I do know that. You know, the the thing to keep in mind is the multiple perspectives. You know, there are a lot of uh, you know modern filmgoers who absolutely refuse to watch. Uh, anything from before they were born because they think, well, if it's from before I was born, that means it's going to be slow and boring. I'm going to pause you right there. 
because this is a this is a beef of mine. Yeah. As I move all my drinks around, <laughs> um, I make room to be angry for a second. Because that is a thing. Yes. That I come to find that people, our age group, a little older, a little younger, who just refuse to engage in any culture that existed before they were born. And it's so weird to me because, like, all my interests, or predominantly my interests, are from before I was born. Yes. So it, it always, like, baffles me of how shallow of a pool you're pulling from as a human if your only attention is back from when before, like, you stop at the year you were born. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And... It just, like, it does, it bugs me. And just you mentioning it, I was like, yeah, because that is a, a thing. Yeah, in that respect, you know, there are some some wonderful movies, you know, from before our time that, for the most part, are still held in critical acclaim today, but there is at least a huge portion of the population, especially in our generation and younger, who will never watch these older movies, whether it's because it's black and white or because it's not directed by Michael Bay or because it doesn't have any cursing in it, so they the language is too ornate to, to get around that in order to, to please the censors. Um, but, uh, you know, I know personally... Maybe my favorite uh, comedy director would probably be uh, Blake Edwards. He did uh, the Pink Panther movies, uh, The Great Race, which is my all-time favorite comedy, and uh, What Did You Do in the War, Daddy? These are movies nobody talks about today, and I know, I'm sure there are plenty of young people, if they watch them, they would be like, well, where are the fart jokes? Where are the sex jokes? And it's like, yeah, they're not there. That's why this movie's actually funny (laughs) today. Or, um, uh, you know, you'll watch... You know, movies uh, from bef- again the pre-Brando era of acting, and every every time somebody says that you know Marlon Brando changed acting forever, whether it's because it was method acting or just acting in general, and everybody says, well, actually, I think it was you guys might remember this uh, from our ESU days. I don't know if you remember on the in the Dale Snow black box, you know, the the wall of quotes. There was the one that said, uh, "Before Brando, actors acted. After Brando, they behaved." I believe that quote is attributed to Jeremy Irons. And if by some miracle he ever listens to this podcast, which yeah, you never know, we're hoping someday. Yeah. Uh, if he ever does, uh, Mr. Irons, I, I really hold you in the highest regard, but why are you licking the boots of a man who doesn't have a fraction of your talent? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you are a million times the actor Brando ever was. So, okay, so let's, let's go down this rabbit hole now. <laughs> Here we are. Let's, let's give the people some juice. Um, what is it? Luke. Yeah. About Brando, because and I'm not saying you're. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not. My my feet are not in this pool deep enough to really have a good opinion. <laughs> That's fine. But what is it about Brando that turns you off so? It's it's not even necessarily Brando himself. Although I do have some beef with the man as an actor and as a human being. It's his reputation. You know, so many people think that, no, for example, he's held in such high esteem, you would think that nobody could have played his roles better than he did, mm-hmm. which I think is absolutely untrue. Uh, when he did his breakout role in A Streetcar Named Desire, uh, the first choice for the role was Burt Lancaster, who I think would have done a better job. Now, I'm 
glad he didn't do the movie because I think if he had done it, he would have missed the Crimson Pirate, which I think is the greatest pirate movie ever made. Um, but uh, they also considered Robert Mitchum, who I think would have nailed the part. Uh, John Garfield, who I think would have been fine. Um, when Brando did the part on Broadway, his understudy was Jack Palance. I think Palance would have done the role just as well, if not better. After Brando left the Broadway production, I think when the production toured, he was replaced by Anthony Quinn, who's one of my all-time favorite character actors. And I can't prove this, but I think according to IMDb, they said that uh, Quinn actually got better reviews for the live show than Brando did. Now, we have no recordings of his show, so we can't compare and contrast them, but I, if I ever saw them, I wouldn't be surprised if he was mm -hmm. better. And then uh, same goes for uh, later roles, uh, some that Brando turned down, like uh, uh, High Noon. He was the first choice to play the lead role for that movie, but he turned it down. He was replaced by Gary Cooper, who, would, who absolutely nailed that part. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, 20 years later to The Godfather. And yes, Brando, and I'm not saying Brando was bad in these movies, but he was, I think he was passable when he did The Godfather. They also considered Burt Lancaster, again, who I think would have been great. They considered Kirk Douglas, who I think would have done it better. Um, Orson Welles really wanted the part, but they said he was wrong for it for some reason, but I think he would have been great. I think Laurence Olivier was... That would have been interesting, though. Yeah. <clears throat> it's hard to imagine Orson Welles being the godfather. He's definitely more, impo he's more imposing than Brando, yeah, that's for I, I, sure. I could see it. Yeah, yeah I no, Orson wouldn't need tissues in his cheeks. No, <laughs> yes, no that's for no, sure. No, he, he wouldn't need the, the... If you ever watch, if you ever watch, a little side road, yeah. if you ever watch Orson Welles on the Dick Cavett show, you may mm. have seen clips of it, but the whole episode is up on YouTube. Okay. Now this is when I feel Orson was his biggest... Yeah, uh... He comes out and he like shoves himself into the chair and they go to a commercial break way quicker than they normally would have. And when they come back from commercial, he's in a different chair. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> but yes, but yeah, the point is I, I do think that Wells, despite being very different, would have still been fine. And they also considered Lawrence Olivier, who is arguably Brando's biggest rival for a long time. And the only reason he missed it was because he was in declining health at the time because of cancer, which he, he just barely got into remission in time to do uh, Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. I think he would have done better. And uh, he was, uh, Brando also turned down Ben-Hur, which ended up going to uh, Charlton Heston. I think, I think Heston was better than Brando would have been. And so not only do I think a lot of these actors in Brando's time would have done the role, these roles better. A lot of actors that I think predate Brando did better. Two years before he did uh, Streetcar, James Cagney did uh, White Heat. I think the scene where he flips out in the prison when he finds out his mother's dead, I think that is more powerful than anything Brando did in Streetcar. Like, I take Cagney seriously when he's, you know, knocking guards down and wailing, I want to get out of here! I take that so much more seriously than Brando yelling, "Hey, Stella!" while he's while he's fixing his hair. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie. It was in an English literature class in high school. It, you know, the entire class, of, and, and again, these are probably the same type of crowd of people who don't like watching black and white movies. But point still stands. 
when that scene happened, they all burst out laughing because they thought it was yeah. the corniest thing they'd ever seen. Yeah. I don't think his acting holds up as well as so many people say that it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like he, uh, people think that's dramatic. He thought at the time it was being dramatic. People now just look at it as a joke. I think it's a, uh, a thing on Facebook. Like you have different things like like going like this and have it going, Stella! Right. And, uh, and same thing with... Uh, you know, going along with uh, what looks like, you know, about brand new, I just think people, you know, consider, you know, just place them up way too high, you know, higher than they should. Like, they, like it's almost like they consider, consider him the pinnacle of what an actor should be. And, yeah. You know, uh, one of my, uh, a movie I like, you know, as, uh, you know, that I always liked was, uh, oh, I can't think that off the top of my head. Uh, not not streaker names are uh, yeah, uh, Kilbeck uh, and Dender on the on, on the waterfront. Water yeah, okay. uh, my favorite scene in that t- entire movie. You know, I'm sure you guys are all gonna say uh, the part in the back of the cab. You know, you know not not the you know I could be a contender. Mm-hmm. There uh, the scene with Carl Molden. Carl Molden plays the priest in that movie, and he's uh, next to a dead body in the, uh, the docks. They, uh, man was just killed because he was going to rat on the union, mm-hmm. and he, uh, on the on Lee J. Cobb, the the guys who controlled the union, and uh, he's given Carl Molden is given this beautiful speech, uh, and you know about this is my church, and I just think people just you know that that seems like that just get tossed to the side, and then there's this beautiful image, uh, I think it's. One of the most underrated shots in uh, cinema. There's uh, music in the background. Carl Molden and this uh, dead dead body are being raised. Uh, they're they're going up uh, on on a crane that's used for boxes. And you know, Carl Molden's all dressed in black. And you know, and you know, and uh, people all these you know uh, workers and people, you know they're throwing cans at him and you know they're just you know trying to. You know, just uh, you know, uh, throw him. You know, because all these guys, you know, support you know Lee uh, Lee Jacob and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just uh, one of the greatest shots ever. You 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 watch that. It's just you know, it's only like five or you know ten seconds. And I just think it's great. Yeah, and there are so many other actors who didn't necessarily compete with Brando, but they were in the business, you know, before they started in the business before Brando, and they, they, they didn't change their acting as a result of Brando, and they still held up very well. Like, perfect example, since we were talking about Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. I don't know if you guys saw uh, the Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis and uh, Sidney Poitier. Uh, it's a movie about these two guys, these two convicts who escaped from a chain gang uh, and uh, apparently the prison warden has six sense of humor because this is in the deep south and he thought it would be funny to chain a black guy to a white guy. So they, so the, you have these two convicts who absolutely hate each other who are trying to run away. At one point they get caught by a mob that's planning to torture them and in comes Lon Chaney Jr., who would have been, I think, like 51 at the time, had been acting for decades before Brando. You know, had absolutely nothing to do with Brando's style and he makes this this beautiful speech like all right he approaches these these mobsters one at a time all right you want to attack them go ahead burn their eyes out 
and he's like holding the torch, like offering him to hand it to them, it taunting them, like not really asking them to do it. So, go ahead, burn their eyes out. No, you okay, you wanna do it? Go ahead. And I'm watching Cheney, it's like he didn't it's a bit part, he didn't get an Oscar nomination or anything. I'm like, that's better than anything Brando did. And he clearly had learned more from his his old man in the right. silent era than he did from Brando. And then, you know, and also in regard to the tying back to what we were saying about method actors being detrimental to others, Brando was a from what I understand, was a massive pain in the neck to work with, not just with not memorizing his lines, but disagreeing with you know, with other people's creative choices or pulling pranks like when he when he got cast in the lead role of uh, Guys and Dolls, which he definitely didn't deserve because he could barely carry a tune, yeah. um, he did a scene with uh, uh, Frank Sinatra where Sinatra, who hated eating pie, had to eat pie, and Brando purposely botched every take so that poor Sinatra had to keep wolfing uh, down this pie he didn't yeah, want he didn't until, yeah. until finally he said, I can't do any more takes. So the, so they called cut and wrapped it up for the day. Next day, Brando comes back and nails it on the first take just because he could. He oh, could man. have done that all along, and he did it. Oh, and he insisted that the reason he didn't learn his lines was because he felt it made him more spontaneous, <laughs> which I, I'm going to call bull on that because, spe I mean, I can't speak for every actor, but speaking for myself... I think there's more room to improvise when you do know the line, when you do know the intention exactly. to work yeah. around it so that if somebody makes a stake, you understand the character and the dialogue and the intention you're going with well enough to cover it up. And besides, you know, not memorizing the lines or in Brando's case, constantly, and I'm not saying improvisation is a bad thing. It, it is organic and it can help add to the story when it's used in moderation but with Brando's case at some point you ask you have to ask yourself how does the poor writer feel knowing that none of his dialogue is being used exactly like they, mean, that they're putting their heart and soul into this and yeah I mean writers you know put, you know put everything they work on scripts for you know years I mean and, and just to have them I mean that's you know disrespect to uh uh, the writer, like Luke was saying. <laughs> what do you give elephant with diarrhea? <laughs> Lots of room. <laughs> I'd like each of you, it doesn't need to be your favorite movie of all time, but let, for to end the podcast, let's give a movie recommendation from each of you to what you think a viewer or a listener, not a viewer, hmm. might benefit from seeing. Okay. If you, if you first. Okay, um, I I will go with my number one favorite because it is an obvious choice to me, and I I think it falls into the category of underrated. Um, the Guns of Navarone, with Gregory Peck, David Niven, and Anthony Quinn, among others. Uh, it's based on a novel which I have not read, although I do hope to get around to it someday. Uh, to me, it is not just one of the greatest war movies ever made, I think it's one of the greatest anti-war movies ever made because it drives home the message, especially through the main character played by Gregory Peck, that the only way to win a war is to be as nasty as the enemy, which is why it's better not to fight war in the first place. Um, this, I know this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, but to me, The Guns of Navarone is very much what The Lord of the Rings is to so many other people. 
Only I think Guns of Navarone does a much better job with the whole premise of a small group of misfits who, some of whom hate each other, being forced to infiltrate enemy territory uh, to accomplish a seemingly impossible task. But I think Guns of Navarone actually follows through with the tension, especially because the main character especially does have to make some out of desperation does have to make some very morally dubious decisions and they really do make you think does the end justify the means is this really benefiting the greater good oh, uh, Andrew what do you got <laughs> uh, you, you love the tough questions <laughs> well it doesn't uh, act like it's not necessarily your favorite movie uh, but it's one you would rec- you, you tend to recommend to folks because uh, oh, uh, yeah, that's a, a long list like I'm trying to narrow it down uh, Try to think of something you think that not enough people are watching. Uh, pr- probably a, a film that probably not, not enough people are watching is uh, the movie Sleepers. Uh, it was uh, it it's, uh, stars uh, it has Robert De Niro. I know you guys are gonna say oh, he likes because he's a Robert De Niro movie, but this is you know uh, Robert De Niro is uh, very uh, uh, very. Minor, minor role. role, very minor role. He plays a priest, and it's about uh, four young boys uh, uh, growing up in Hell's Kitchen, and it's them growing up into adulthood. And like, uh, it, it's about so it's about you know the the men who influence their lives. Like they, it's you know, the, you know they have the influence of their father at home. Mm-hmm. They have the uh, the influence of you know. Uh, De Niro's character, the priest at church, and they have the influence of the local gangster, you know, and all you know, kind of teach them, you know, how to grow into uh, a man, you know, and influence the men that they become. I'm interested. I, I've not heard of that movie. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's cool. Isaac, you got any movies for us? Or no. Uh, see, the, the most recent one I watched was actually uh, Dead Man by Jim Jarmusch, which is a uh, 1990 film, I think. And yeah, no, I think it's a pretty good movie. I mean, I don't know. That filmmaker in particular, I feel like he just has a good way of like portraying life, kind of how it is, and just sort of flows really, really nicely. Uh, yeah, story's pretty awesome, and uh, yeah, just how it's filmed, how everything's portrayed, it's like very true to like the uh, 18, you know, turn of the century, 1800s Western era. So yeah, I would recommend that definitely. Nice. Definitely. Okay. Not to, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, my recommendation, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. The Dex Ran Red, 1958. Dorothy Dangerous and James Mason. If you could find it, you should watch it. But it'll be a hell of a trick to find it. Thank you all for listening again. Luke, thanks for being on. Andrew, thanks for making the trip. Oh, being on. Okay. It was cool to have you guys together on a show. Yeah, uh, thank thank you so much for having us. Uh, yeah, yes, I, thank I, you. Just getting to spend the time time with you guys is, you know, like I said about your movie. I think just, you know, the three of us just getting together and having fun. I think that's, uh, you know, uh, a show in itself. You know, yeah, I think so. We're gonna keep, uh, keep doing it. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs>
at Albert Shivers. You can find Isaac's work on Instagram at when underscore in underscore zen. You can find this episode and more of the Planet Shivers podcast. Get ready for this now. Get a pen and paper ready. It's on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the podcast app, Spotify, I think I already said it anyway, and also on YouTube, a little bit of video, picture, slideshow kind of thing, depending on the episode. Thank you so much to Luke and Andrew for making the trip, coming by, recording this episode. It was a ton of fun. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Check out the Albert Shivers Patreon page. Check it all out. Look at all the stuff. And don't forget, Shirley and Spinoza Radio. Open your mind to some cool music. Next week on the topic of music, I got a huge guest coming. Huge guest. Look out for the promotions. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. And um, here's a little hint. Is that this past week, was Louis Armstrong's birthday. There's a little hint as to my next guest. Talk to you next week. Be safe, be happy, be healthy, be all the good things. Keep a good state of mind, and we'll catch you next week.